Jesus truly is the answer to every need that we have. Uh, he is exactly what we need. He is hope for the hopeless. He's rest for the weary. Uh, he's help for the helpless. Yes, He is. Uh, that is the conviction that I have in my life and that many of you share with me. And we are thrilled whenever we hear stories of people discovering the Jesus that we know. Now, this past week, I read a story about uh, a football player named Darius Holland. Uh, Darius Holland began his life in challenging family circumstances, uh, but he found football was a way, as he described it, a way to get out. Uh, playing in high school, he was recruited uh, by the University of Colorado. Uh, back when the University of Colorado had a national uh, uh, type uh, team, national championship type team. In 1994, Darius Holland was on the team that, was, uh, that made it to the top five of all college football for the University of Colorado. Later, he was drafted by the Green Bay Packers. And he began to play as defensive tackle number 90 on the Green Bay Packers. He ended up playing in three Super Bowls, but obviously the one that mattered to him was the one where the Green Bay Packers won. That was Super Bowl 31. In February 1997, the Green Bay Packers met the New England Patriots and whooped them. Hoorah. And Green Bay Packers beat the New England Patriots 35 to 21. And you would think that for Darius Holland, this was the high point. This was uh, the answer to all the search of his life. But as he tells the story, he said, if this is the pinnacle of my life, I'm sunk. I'm absolutely sunk because this isn't working. I thought I could outrun my problems, and it was not working. For the next seven years, Darius Holland began to search uh, for the answer to the struggle of his soul, the, the thing that would um, bring light into his darkness, the thing that would satisfy him, the thing that would give him a purpose beyond just playing football or making money. After seven years, he began training, had a trainer that was uh, helping him, and that trainer was a follower of Jesus. And almost immediately, Darius said, Darius said that he saw in that person, that trainer, exactly what he was looking for. Here's a guy who had joy even when times weren't joyful. He is, here's a guy who had peace, even when peace seemed to be fleeting. Here's a guy who had purpose beyond his job and satisfaction in his life and in his relationships. And Darius began to question his trainer, what, what is it that you have? Because that's what I want. And finally, Darius realized 
that what he needed was Jesus. He went on and he said, God showed me that the pain in my life wasn't a result of my mom or my dad or anyone else. The pain in my life was my sin. And Jesus was the answer to what I needed. We all love stories that inspire us and help us and shape our lives. This morning, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells us a story that promises what Jesus did for Darius, he can do for you. It's a story that I pray will inspire us. I pray it will help us, and I pray that it will shape our life, even change our life. Let's listen to the story that Jesus told in Mark chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Now, this is the parable. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. He dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. At vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. Can I stop us here? Who owned the vineyard? Who, who owned the vineyard? The master, right? Uh, did the vine dressers own the vineyard? It's important. Verse 3, so they took the servant, they being the vine dressers, took the servant and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, the master sent the vine dressers another servant. And at him they threw stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, the master sent another and him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. Who owned the vineyard? Did the vine dressers own the vineyard? Verse 6. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, the master also sent his son to the vine dressers last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took the son and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. That's the end of the story. Verse 9, Jesus turns to the crowd, and he turns to you and to me, and he says, Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Uh, before uh, we learn lessons from this story, I, I, I just want to kind of uh, help us understand it a little bit. Anytime Jesus talks in a parable... He's talking about how God relates to you and me. In the context here in Mark chapter 12, he's talking about how God relates uh, to the religious leaders 
He's talking about how God relates to the people of Israel, and he's talking about how God relates to Gentiles. When we read this story, we need to understand God is teaching us how he relates not only to us, but to everybody around us. And people we go to work with, people we go to school with, people who believe in God, and people who don't believe in God, okay? When Jesus tells a story, a parable, he's teaching us how God relates to you and me. Now, in the parable itself, especially this one, we can identify some of the players, okay? So if the main actors in the story are the master of the vineyard, the vine dressers, the son, uh, the servants, then let's identify who those are. The master is, who do you think that is? God. Y'all are great. Y'all are right on target. So the master of the vineyard is God. Who are the vine dressers? Okay, Pharisees, absolutely right. But it's you and me too. Not just the Pharisees. We like it to be just the Pharisees. But it's you and me as well. Who's the son? Y'all are right on target. Uh, can I, uh, this is uh, parable 201. That was 101. Here's parable 201. Who's the chief cornerstone? Jesus. All right. Well, that's identifying players in the parable in this story that Jesus teaches. Now, the question is, how does this story change our life? How can this story shape our life? How can it help us? How can it inspire us? How can it transform us? Well, the first thing that we see in this parable, this story that Jesus teaches, it's a universal truth that God sets us up to have a wonderful life. In verse 1, Jesus said the, there was a certain owner of the vineyard who planted the vineyard and who uh, set up the hedge and uh, created the vat and the wine press and all these things. Verse 1 is saying simply everything that is needed for uh, the vineyard to flourish, uh, the owner, the master, has set it up. Now, this is true not just about a vineyard in a story. Uh, this is true about your life and mine. And not just people who go to church, but people who don't go to church. Not just people who believe that there is God, but people who don't believe there is God. God has set every human being up to experience a wonderful life. From the very beginning of creation, in Genesis chapter 1, the scripture tells us that God made you and me in his own image and likeness. God set us up to have a wonderful life because being made in his image and likeness means that we were created to have relationship with God, our creator. We were created in such a way that we could know God. We were created in such a way that we could have fellowship with God. That's how every person is made. The, the core of our DNA is built to, to beat in sync with the living God. You and I were made in the image and the likeness of God. We were created for fellowship with him. But he goes on, and, the, and God does more than just make us in his image. 
God gives us this wondrous creation. Psalm 19 and even Psalm 119 talk about creation as the handiwork of God. It is the master work of God's artistic um, imagination become a reality. Uh, creation with all of its beauty and its sunset and its mountain uh, landscapes and, and its seascapes and, and all the hues and the colors and, and the beauty and, and the majesty of creation is God creating something to point us toward himself. He made us in his image, but he also gave us creation that points us to him. But he does more than that. He gives us his creation, but he also gives us his word. The Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation, last chapter, last verse, that is God revealing his will, his heart, the way he operates, his desire, his design, his expectations. It's God giving us the schematic of his mind And it's in written form for us to see and to hear and to know so that we might have a wonderful life. God has given us everything we need to have a wondrous life, but his ultimate act of providing everything we need, setting us up for a wondrous life is God giving us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, who is God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived his life perfectly, without sin, blemish, or fault. And he came on a mission to make God known to you and to me. And this isn't about being a Baptist or a Methodist or evangelical or a Protestant or a Catholic or any of those things. This is about being human. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being sees creation that should point them to God. Every human being can understand or at least comprehend that this is the Word of God revealing the will of God, and every person has to deal with Jesus. And everything that God has done, He has done, He has planted the vineyard so that we might flourish. If God has done all of this to make a wondrous life possible, why is it that Darius Holland didn't have a wondrous life? If God has done everything that is needed for you and for me to experience a wondrous life, why is it that we don't experience a wondrous life? I don't know how many of y'all are uh, uh, fans of Taylor Swift. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. There's one. Taylor Swift came out with a new song recently. It's called Anti-Hero. And if you've heard the song or seen it, it goes, Hi, it's me. What's the next line? I'm the problem, it's me. If you want to know why you don't have a wondrous life, it's not God's fault. It's not your mom's fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's not your circumstances' fault. The reason we don't have a wondrous life is because we're the problem. Now, again, I know that 
that flies in the face of so much that we see in culture today, but I'm just talking about the story that Jesus has shared, the very absolute truth of God to us today. I'm the problem. God has set everything in place for me and for you to experience a wondrous life, the life of beauty and purpose and satisfaction and joy, but we don't experience that life because we believe we can do better on our own. We believe that we can do life better without God, without His interference or intervention. I'm the problem. It's me. For the vine dressers, they knew that the master had planted the vineyard, that he had set it up so the vineyard would flourish, but they thought that they could do better without the master. They believed that they could do better on their own. And so they rejected the master. They rejected all the, the, the uh, servants that the master sent. They rejected even the son that the master sent. They rejected everything. They rebelled a- a- against the master because they wanted to go it their own way. For a different generation, not the Taylor Swift generation, but a different generation in this room, it's depicted in a song that was sung says, I did it my way. And that's the story of us. That's your story, and it's my story. God has set us up to experience a wondrous life, but we choose to go our own way, to do it my way. God doesn't matter. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, I want you to hear this clearly. This applies to you as a follower of Jesus. You decide that God is good enough to rescue you from sin's embrace, but not good enough to determine how you live. And you think that that is sufficient. And I'm here to say, Jesus is here to say, only chaos will come for the follower of Jesus who does not submit to the ownership of God over our lives. And there are some here today who have never experienced life in all of its fullness. Like Darius Holland, you're still searching for an answer to the struggle of your soul in the darkness and despair that you find deep in your heart. You're like Taylor Swift who says, I can stare straight at the sun, but I can't look at myself in the mirror. And today you're, you're, you're confronted with this idea. You see that you believe God is nothing more than some uh, imaginary owner of nothing in particular in your life. And so, I'll just do it my way. That's the definition of sin, by the way. The very definition of sin is is not not merely some moral code that we violate. The definition of sin is where I, in my pride, determine that I don't need God. I can do life on my own. And so we reject 
God's loving offer and we rebel against him. But even in the face of our rejection and our rebellion, God's love is still persistent and faithful. In the story, here's what Jesus says. Jesus said, okay, the vine dressers think they can do it on their own, but the master sends a servant. They beat up the servant, send him back empty-handed, but the master sends another servant. And again, the, the vine dressers, we can do it on our own. They, they beat up that, that servant, send him back shamefully treated. And then there's another servant. They kill him and another servant. They beat him up and they kill others. And, and, and in every case, God is being persistently merciful to people who are separated from him by sin and giving us a chance at a wondrous life in fellowship, submission, and surrender to him. And we still choose chaos. And we still choose emptiness because we think we know better than God. And so Jesus continues the story in verse 6, and he says, the master had his only son, his beloved son, and he sent his son last. In the chaos of our lives, separated from God because of our rebellion, thinking we can do life on our own, even though God sets us up to experience a wondrous life, in the midst of our rebellion, God gives us Jesus. And Jesus is God's final answer. Amen. Now, here's what I mean by that. There are no do-overs after Jesus. There's no other avenue to experience a wondrous life except through Jesus. If we kill Jesus in our hearts, the letter of Hebrews says, we are toast. Jesus came on a mission. To bring us to God. Jesus came on a mission to give us life in all of its fullness. Jesus came on a mission to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. See, all of us are number two. All of us believe or have believed that we can do better on our own. We don't need God. All of us have sinned, and that sin separates us from God and, and sinks us in a cell of of, of despair and in a cycle of shame and we can't escape the chains that our rebellion and our rejection have made for us. We are stuck and we are imprisoned and we can't escape. But out of the rubble of our rebellion and rejection of God's love, God sends Jesus 
to pave the way for us to find the life that we previously rejected. He sends Jesus to rescue us. You look at this story and Jesus talks about himself. He says the son has come and the son will be killed. But then he says, have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. God has done it and it's wondrous, marvelous in our eyes. Jesus came. And even though he was killed, he was killed by the predetermined purpose and will of God as payment for sin that you and I have done. This is what's wondrous. That even though I have sinned, even though I have rebelled, even though I have rejected the wondrous life that God offers, Jesus, God's final answer has come. To take the penalty of my sin, of your sin, upon himself. And when he was killed on a cross, he was killed for my sin and in my place. So that I could be rescued. So that I could be forgiven. So that I could be brought into God's family. So that I might taste fully and finally the wonderful life that God has set us up. To experience. There is no way any person at any time with any background, there is no way that any person can find the life that they're looking for. Apart from Jesus Christ. He is God's final answer. And for many here today, you're saying, yes, I, you, hear, you hear people, and some of y'all, maybe this is the first time you've been in this church, you hear people say, amen, or yes, Lord, or, and, and you're like, well, well, freaks. Yeah. No, they're just excited. You know why they're excited? They're excited because they've experienced it. Yeah, get a little hallelujah in there. They, they've experienced it. They know what this story is about. They know how it's, Jesus has changed their life. And they can't keep quiet. But, but if, if you haven't experienced it, if you haven't tasted it, if, if you haven't found that forgiveness, that new life that Jesus offers, you, you're like, meh, eh. You know that Jesus was at least a historical figure or maybe a mythical figure, but, but he's not real. He's not someone that's changed your life or shaped your life. And, and, and that's how you walked into the room or started watching uh, online. And, and that's where you are. And my prayer for you all week has been that your eyes would be open. Did you hear? It's wondrous in our eyes. That's the eyes of people who can see Jesus for who he is. My prayer has been that God would supernaturally, yes, supernaturally open your eyes to see Jesus. 
There's a video that became viral some time ago. It was uh, a little four-month-old boy named Leo. And Leo was born with um, an eye problem that caused him unable to see anything clearly. Everything was a blur. And the video taken by the dad is what happened when the doctors got together and they figured out that uh, Leo's eye problem could be corrected with glasses. And so they worked and they got the glasses made for this four-month-old head, for these four-month-old broken eyes. And the father has his camera and his, his, his phone and he's recording as Leo's mom takes those glasses and slips those glasses over the eyes of that four-month-old. And Leo's eyes began to focus. And a smile spread across his face. And a coo escaped from his lips. And his hands began to reach because he saw his mother for the very first time. My prayer is for you today that you would see Jesus clearly for the very first time. So much so that you would reach to him and take hold of him. And that he would take hold of you and give you this wondrous life. Do you see Jesus? Again, maybe you walked into the room and Jesus is just this kind of dude. Uh, a dude of my parents or my grandparents or a dude of yesterday or a dude of, of mythology. And he doesn't make much sense. But today, oh my goodness, today, the story that Jesus tells can, can inspire you. It, it can help you. It can change your life. Jesus is the cornerstone. That means he's, the, he's become the foundation of everything. That's, that's what we need. We, we need the one, the only one who can handle the weight of our life, of our yesterday, our today, and our eternity. We need him to hold us, to be the, the, the foundation and the source of all that we are. And Jesus is the one who leads you to that wondrous life through his dying on a cross in your place for your sin, paying the price that would make you right in the sight of God, wiping away the rebellion and the rejection and replacing it with triumph and victory and intimacy with the living God. This Jesus is the one that you need. And I wish, oh my goodness, I wish that I could reach inside your mind or inside your heart and turn the switch so that you would believe. But that's beyond me. My words are inadequate and incomplete. And they're, they're, they're insufficient to turn that switch inside your mind, your heart. And so I've been asking God to do what only God can do. 
And by His Spirit, awaken in you. Now, open your eyes to see Jesus. To be changed by Jesus. To be rescued by Jesus. That God would give you the faith to walk the path that His grace has paved by trusting in Jesus as your only hope. And again, you might say, I, that's just not for me. I'm not a religious person. That's not where I come from. That's not really, not really what I want. And I get it. I do. I understand your objection to it. But can I tell you again, from all my heart, you will never have the life you crave until you bow before Jesus as your rescuer. And as your king. And I beg you, please, choose Jesus today. Choose him and find life. Choose him and find beauty. Choose him and find purpose. Choose him and be satisfied. Choose him and give him all that you are. And it will be all you need from here into eternity. If you're a follower of Christ today, I, I just want to remind you that, that you can join me in the company of the rebellious, acting like God is an owner of nothing in particular in our life, inviting chaos again. If you're a follower of Jesus, I beg you, if you are walking that path of rebellion or disobedience to God, repent today. Don't settle for the chaos. Return to the arms of the one, God's final answer, who gives you the satisfaction you desperately need. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, online or in the room, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want you, I want you to have a shot at life. And not for me. Not even for this church, but for the glory of God and for the good of your soul. I beg you, today, will you choose Christ? In a few moments, I, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, if, if today you say, yes, I've fought it. I've, struggled, I've, heard, I've heard the sound. I, my heart is beating out of my chest. And today, I can't do anything except... Choose Christ. I've, I've got to have Jesus. I've got to have Jesus. If today you're ready to turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus as your only hope, uh, receive the forgiveness that he offers and, and be brought into intimacy with the living God from whom you've been separated by your sin. If that's who you are, then in a few moments after I pray, I'm going to invite you to stand and go straight to the back where our ministers are going to be. And you go back and you say to the minister, I'm ready. I choose Jesus today. And they want to walk with you and they want to talk with you and help answer any questions that you might have. Friends, today is the day. There is no other moment. This is it. There's no other shot. This is the one. Today, I beg you, choose Christ. Don't live another second in dismal despair. Today, choose Christ. 
be rescued, be forgiven, find this wondrous life. Would everyone bow your heads as we enter into a time of prayer? This morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you begin praying for those who are not yet followers of Christ. You pray that the Spirit of God would give them the courage that they need to stand up and step out and choose Jesus today. If, you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and, and right now inside there's this turmoil going, this war between staying the same or choosing Christ I really believe that the Spirit of God will win that war, but, but my prayer is that you would find the strength in your, in, in your legs and the strength in your mind and the strength in your body to stand and say, today I choose Christ. I can't do anything else. It's, it's my only hope. And even as you uh, have this turmoil of of, of the inside right now, even, even as you're struggling, if you will just say, oh God, help me choose Christ. Just do that. Just, oh God, help me choose Jesus today. Then, after I pray, immediately stand up and go to the back. Make your way to the lobby. So now, Father in heaven, the Lord of glory, I beg you to do in the hearts of those who are here, who are not yet part of your family. I pray, oh God, draw them to yourself. I pray, oh God, give them the courage to say yes to Jesus in this moment. I pray, oh God, please, please, by your spirit, awaken in them the faith that they need to choose Christ today, to choose life today as they battle, as this, this battle is going on inside them, I pray, oh God, that you would calm their fears and give them the confidence that they need to say yes to Jesus. And God, as we draw closer to that moment where I invite them to stand, I pray that even now you would give them the courage and the faith to say yes. Give them the courage and the faith to choose life and joy and peace and purpose that can only be found through faith in Christ. Oh God, will you draw them to yourself right now by your spirit? This is your work. Only you can do this. I pray that you would do it. Pierce every heart that has been hardened against you. Melt every heart that is tender towards you. And for every person here who is yet to know you through faith in Christ, by your Spirit, give them the strength and the courage and the faith to say yes to you in this moment. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.